This episode is supported by Vegamore. I'm a month and a half into my Vegamore journey. I don't know if you've ever had a garden and planted seeds, but when that first little growth breaks ground, it's exciting. And on my very head, I can see some new growth in the areas that I've noticed hair thinning before. And it's exciting to see those little babies coming in. I use the shampoo, conditioner, and the grow serum, which have a lovely, mellow, warm citrus smell. I've been consistently using this and it makes my hair feel soft and full. And it's really important to me that I use safe and conscious products whenever I can. And Vegamore is 100% cruelty-free and are never formulated with potentially harmful chemicals like parabens or hormones. Elevate your hair wellness routine this year with Vegamore. For a limited time, get 20% off your first subscription order by going to vegamore.com slash mind and use code mind at checkout. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash mind, code mind to save 20% on your first order. V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash mind, code mind. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression. And this podcast aims to share it all from personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome to another episode of the Mom and Mind podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. In our episode today, we are talking with Marie Sloan, who's a licensed professional counselor and certified perinatal mental health specialist based in Arizona. She focuses her practice on helping new parents of all backgrounds, but specifically focuses on LGBTQ plus families and non-traditional family dynamics, such as co-parenting, single parents by choice, queer parents, polyamorous families, and others. She herself is a survivor of postpartum depression and a single parent for four years, brings compassion and lived experience to parents adjusting to a variety of new dynamics and transitions. As you may already know, the conversations about queer parents and families in the perinatal mental health space is one that needs to be expanded. And Marie talks a little bit more about that in our interview. She shares with us a little bit of her parenting journey and how she supports families who are going through the transition to parenthood when not all parenting support spaces are created equal, specifically with families that might have a non-traditional path to parenthood where there could be pushback from people around them. Making sure that people have adequate support and being able to find that support is really, really crucial. Thank you for joining us in this conversation today. Let's meet Marie. Welcome, Marie. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm grateful that you're coming on to share the work that you do, specifically because, as you know, not enough people are, number one, specializing in perinatal mental health, but also perinatal mental health and supporting LGBTQ families. And so your work is uber important. (laughs) And I'm grateful that you're coming on to share. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm grateful for the opportunity because I feel like this is, you know, there are so many like even within that like perimental health uh, 
like umbrella, there's a lot of specific spaces under there that kind of further, like, it's nice to have people that just like, oh, okay, like mm-hmm. this specific topic is a little different than this other person's experience. And so I am always encouraging people to find that kind of, not just the maternal mental health or perinatal mental health, but also something a little bit more specific to you. Right. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people don't even realize that, well, like I said, for one, perinatal mental health is a specialty and you can get that specialized support, but that it can be as specialized as is available. And yeah, uh, yeah, super duper important. So if you want to talk a little bit more about what your focus is and how you got into this work. Absolutely. So I was, when I had my son, and this was, you know, like 10 years ago, my son's nine now, um, the the whole pregnancy process was very difficult for me. I did not like it. I didn't mm-hmm. like being pregnant. I didn't like feel okay admitting that. That was really difficult. I was in a very unhealthy relationship at the time also. So that was contributing. I had a lot of depression and anxiety even before my son was born. Mm-hmm. And that only really compounded after the fact. And a lot of the trauma and just unhealthiness of that relationship had really was based around my sexuality. And so that was like a huge sticking point. It was extremely codependent. It was just not very good. And I, unfortunately, at the time, because of the resources that were available to me, like I had graduated from college, Mm -hmm. I've been working as an event planner and a server, like Mm -hmm. I didn't really have as much direction as you know, you want to have when you get pregnant, it was an unplanned pregnancy. And so I had to navigate a lot of like, what am I going to do from here? Mm. While at the same time being kind of like underneath this, like blanket of depression because of the environmental factors. And so I was not in the position to get some of the support that I needed. Like Mm, I did not see anybody when I was having postpartum depression. I did see my medical, like my OB did give me medication and that helped a bit. But again, the environmental factors were still so present that it was really difficult to feel any difference with the medication alone. Mm. And I did have a good kind of support system per se, like my family was very supportive, but they were at the time were in a different state. Mm. And I had some friends locally, but I was the first one to have a child like within my group of friends. Right, That's (laughs) its own hard thing. Yeah. It was hard to find like that other mom to relate to that like, you don't Mm -hmm. understand how tired I am. (laughs) it's, It's a whole thing. And so I just felt very alienated. I felt very alone. And that became part of the whole, you know, self-feeding thing with the codependent relationship. Like, I need to figure this out by myself. You know, like, mm-hmm. I decided to have this baby. I need to, you know, be okay. I need mm-hmm. to have all the answers. And I felt inadequate a lot of the time. You know, I think as new parents, new moms. Yeah. I always felt like I was doing it wrong. And I was always trying so hard. And yeah. I was just exhausted. Like, yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> It's really hard to, um, to keep going when you feel like that. Yeah. And my son did not sleep at night. Like he was born at like mm-hmm. 8 p.m. So he was a little nocturnal there for a while. <laughs> mm-hmm. And because I decided to breastfeed like that was kind of like he was up at night uh, mm-hmm. eating. Blood. And mm-hmm. so I really did not know how to adequately take care of myself. I didn't know how to set boundaries. I didn't know mm-hmm. how to advocate and ask for mm-hmm. things. And I didn't really have a sense of community. So there was a lot of alienating factors that 
as I grew and differentiated from the relationship, left the relationship because I, you know, kind of figured out it. Well, I knew it was unhealthy, but I was like, okay, mm-hmm. this is not, mm. this is not going to be the thing. And I decided to go to grad school. I was attracted to counseling. I'd been counselors in the past. Again, unfortunately, did not even have the resources at the time my son was born to re-enter that space. Yeah. But as I left the relationship, I was like, I need to go to counseling. And so I finally did get myself into counseling after I'd left the relationship, got some family support to help with that. And then I was like, okay, when I think about my future, apart now that I'm a single parent, you know, and kind of all the pressure is on me. My son's dad was an active alcoholic at the time. So Mm -hmm. I kind of had to wrap my brain around like he might not ever show up. So I need to plan for I'm the primary, you know, and then if he gets his stuff together, awesome. But like, I don't want to count on that. I don't, Mm -hmm. I can't count on that. And even that added another layer of pressure that now I'm a newly single parent and I am, you know, I had to go to Al-Anon. I had to do all kinds of things to kind of get over that relationship and counseling really was a boon for me like that helped me Mm -hmm. reframe things see things through a different lens rebuild my own self-esteem deal with the trauma around um, the sexuality aspect and I decided like this is something that I want other people to have nice I want to be a part of this you Mm -hmm. know because it was so nice to have an affirming space it was so nice to have somebody there being like, oh yeah, like that's very normal. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's so important that it's, yeah. And especially it's nice to have somebody who's not necessarily been to the exact same thing you've been through, but who's been in that space and yeah. can actually be like, yeah, like this is tough. Like what you're doing is really hard and it's really a lot harder to do it alone. And so then it, it also became like part of my healing journey to find those spaces for myself to have a sense of community. Like Al-Anon was great. I know 12 Step is not for everybody. I also did some smart recovery. I did counseling. And then I also joined a, like a new parents group back when I was in New Mexico for a little bit. Yeah. It's a lot of support. Nice to have. Yeah. It was nice to, but I felt like I had a lot of ideas about those resources and then not everybody does. Like I had Mm. parents, who encouraged me to go to counseling. I had, you know, been to counseling as a teenager when I was Mm -hmm. struggling with things. And so I think it was, I understood that not everybody had that. Um, And so sometimes it was going to be more important to be part of, not everybody had that like encouragement. Some people are made to feel guilty or ashamed that they have to go to counseling. Yes. Um, It's 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 like, it's so terrible. (laughs) I know, like if the idea, and I run into this with parents and just in general is like, if I need to go to counseling, I'm failing or I'm doing something wrong, right? That I should need this other person. And I'm always like, oh, no, no. like we have to help. <laughs> Yeah, right. Okay. I, exactly how I feel too. You know? Yep. Yeah. Wow. And so that was what kind of led me into this. I always knew I wanted to work with trauma. I always knew I wanted to, like I do EMDR. I did not have a traumatic birth. I will just throw that out there, but mm-hmm. a lot of people do. And that's mm-hmm. a huge other aspect to this, offering this care. And a lot of people just don't have the support that I did. Even though I felt very isolated, I still yeah. had family. I still had, you know, even though I was a single parent, 
eventually my son's dad did get sober and he is very present. And oh, so nice. I'm super well, grateful for that. Well, yeah. I'm proud of him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we're on very good terms, but like doing that as a co-parent, like co-parenting is a very, like neither of us knew how to do that because mm-hmm. neither of our parents were divorced. We both came from parents who stayed together. And so neither of us were very good at that at first. And we needed a lot of support. Like we did some, not couple counseling, but co-parenting coaching mm-hmm. type stuff about how to communicate and how to, like, what is appropriate and what is not appropriate, like conversations to have with our right. son, in front of our son and apart from our son. And so it's just been a, a very long journey for me, but I have really appreciated learning how to navigate that space from the professional aspect, like mm-hmm. the professional side also, because I feel like it's one of those things where I'm constantly learning and I, even from my clients and I think it's just, I'm really grateful for that too. Yeah, for sure. This episode is supported by Hungry Root. I am a creature of habit when it comes to food. Like I buy the same stuff in the store and generally make the same stuff over and over. Not really that fun. So in order to shake things up, I use Hungry Root. I can pick a whole meal and they send me what I need to make it, but I will also just let them choose so I don't get into my rut. And it paid off. I got the chicken shawarma non-flatbread. These are flavors that I wouldn't have thought to put together on my own, and they totally work. It was so yummy and so easy to make. And bonus, I also received for free organic roasted chicken breast that I threw into a salad for another meal. Hungry Root is my partner in healthy and yummy living. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Mom and Mind listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash cat to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash cat. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. Support for today's episode comes from OneSkin. And for a limited time, my listeners get an exclusive 15% off OneSkin products using the code MIND when you check out at OneSkin.co. Well, I've kept up my mini resolution of taking better care of my skin after consistently using OneSkin for several weeks and all is going well. I can't see what's going on at a cellular level, but I can tell you that my skin feels soft and healthy. But they did do some cool research that looked at before and after exposure of the OS1 peptide to skin cells, and the OneSkin scientists found that the peptide reverses skin's biological age. And you can even see that study by Zonari A. et al. in the NPJ Aging Journal. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code MIND at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code MIND. After you purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. New year, healthier skin. That's one skin. Thank you for sharing all of that. And for like going into your sort of specialty specialty, (laughs) as we were talking about before, like becoming more specialized. What are you hearing from people who find you and find your very specific focused support? Right now. So when I was doing my internship and kind of looking for my niches. I was in the recovery field. Like I, I did my internship and mm-hmm. I, my, my first job was in a, a rehab center. So substance use. So I, but the cool thing about substance use was that it gave me the opportunity to work with lots of different populations. For sure. And yeah. I knew again, from my experience, like some of the clients that I resonated with the most were parents, both 
all genders. And when I left during the pandemic, because that was a fun curveball that got thrown <laughs> my way, that was my first year as a licensed clinician was 2020. Oh, so, gosh. Yeah, baptism by fire. I never saw myself entering the private practice space, but that was just a necessity because I couldn't be full time in person at this rehab center like I needed to be because my son was at home and everything was a doubt and like I, mm. I couldn't go anywhere. So I started doing private practice and my supervisor there, one of her niches was working with trans folks. And in the state of Arizona, like there just is not enough support. Like it's, sure. we're still a pretty traditional state, pretty conservative. I mean, it's, we've got a lot of influx from California over mm-hmm. the last few years. Yeah. But overall, there's not a whole ton of people who know how to work with that population. And being cis, like I did not know how at first either, but she was really great about allowing me, like got me some great trainings, people with lived experience, and I got to develop that skill set. And that's where I kind of felt those two things start to like Mm -hmm. be very present, like, oh, I love working with members, not just of the trans community, but the LGBTQ community because of my experience and that they're parents. Because again, there's that intersectionality of like, yes, I'm a parent, but then not all parenting spaces are LGBTQ friendly and like have training around how to talk about that or even non-traditional like single parents and single parents by choice and polyamorous parents and people like that. So once I opened, once I kind of found and worked with a couple of those clients, I was like, oh, (laughs) <laughs> this is the thing like that makes me feel energized and yeah cool. and like you know I love that really love working with this like intersection of these two populations and it's kind of grown from there I eventually left and started my own private practice and just like dedicated all my time to that and I feel like ever since then I have just really resonated with and part of it is my website, but I think a lot of parents do reach out for that non-judgmental space. Like I'm not going to, you know, I kind of like speak their language a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm not going to frame their parenting journey through the lens of some of those more traditional things. Like, you know, it's got to be a mom and a dad and mm-hmm. all of those things. Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit more sensitive to tell me about your family dynamic, you know, tell me what's working for you. Tell me where you want to focus the work as opposed to assuming like, oh, well, you're a polyamorous family. So there must be problems around that. No, like that's not, I try to just approach everything with this. And I've done a lot of learning over the last three to four years about how to make that space affirming for all the populations I work with. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, speaking a little bit more to that, maybe um, I, I'm going to make an assumption that folks who have maybe sought support or therapy and who've come across therapists who are not affirming might be extra excited to be able to work with you (laughs) because it's right just to use the words that you used before, like the sort of you being able to speak their language or even understand their language or just having a place that feels Mm -hmm safe and affirming can be really hard to come by. Yeah. And for a lot of my clients, like finding me is I always feel so great when they're excited about it because they'll tell me like, you know, and I think a lot of clinicians like very like not maliciously will just, you know, they just haven't had that training and they're like, oh yeah, I work with family. So this specific type of family, like there shouldn't be any difference there. But 
there are. And I think kind of being aware of that is really important. And again, like there's certain like experiences and life experiences that I have not had mm-hmm. and I have not had the training. And so like, there's definitely some people who've approached me and they're like, well, I, I need this. And I'm like, Ooh, I can't do that. And I just, I wish everybody was a little bit better at saying like, Oh, this is what's going on. I'm not super mm-hmm. informed about that because again, like yes. so I tend to use that like, like very gender neutral language. I say parenting and parents instead of moms and dads, even little things like that can make a huge difference for parents who don't identify as like mom. They just, they identify as like, we are parents. And I think it's just not knowing those little nuanced things can just Mm -hmm. sometimes come across as invalidating by accident. Oh, for sure. Family structures. Yeah. Or even like for my, I have a couple of clients who are single parents by choice. Like, just having people in their lives and sometimes their counselors being like, why would you want to do this on your own? You know, like oh, gosh, that can feel really like judgmental for them. Uh, yeah. Um, as opposed to like, tell me, tell me about what motivated your decisions. Like, tell me about your parenting journey as opposed to approaching this, like, oh, it's supposed to be this way and you're doing it this way. Like, this is a huge thing, you know, so that can be part of it too. You had mentioned before a little bit like in your own journey that you had supportive parents and a supportive system, but it can be also true that people who are having a, like you said, quote unquote, non-traditional path Mm -hmm. to having a family might not have that support from their family. And I like how, I mean, that's a big topic, but how are you supporting people to navigate that? So depending on the client, there's a lot of different answers to that. But one of the things that we do is examine like how that lack of support impacts their emotions and like learning how to take care of themselves. And sometimes there's trauma work around that, you know, depending on the client. And then the other part that I always really encourage people to do is find local community support. And I know like during the pandemic, that was so hard. Everything was online. And honestly, for a lot of new parents, like that can be fine because you don't have to like pack everyone up or get a babysitter <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. So honestly, this big push to have a lot of things accessible online is actually great for mm-hmm. a lot of parents. And there are certain areas that just have a lot more resources in terms of like affirming like like transparent groups and or polyamory support groups for parents. And the fact that that's online, they're not restricted to just their local community. So they can feel a part of a bigger community, even though it's not an in-person experience. And I also encourage people to explore locally too, even if it's just, and a lot of these platforms will help connect you with, again, other people that are at least in the same city or the same Mm -hmm. state as you, Mm -hmm. so that you can feel a sense of, okay, well, we're not the only people you know, we might be the only people in our neighborhood who are a polyamorous family or a trans family or, you know, a family with queer parents, but we aren't alone in, you know, even if we have to drive like 30 minutes or an hour to hang out with these other families, we can still do that. So I always encourage people to explore their local and national like resources to that are specific to them. I mean, I think it's, Speaking from like a family culture perspective, if you grew up in a family that did things X, Y, or Z way, and you're creating a family 
that does things ABC way, it's, you're like forging a new path. You're trying to figure out how to be a parent in like essentially a different way, a different culture. That can be, that's really difficult to have to sort of like invent something new or um, try and parent in a way that you weren't taught. Absolutely. And that's what I hear from a lot of parents is that even if it's something basic, like gentle parenting versus, you know, they got spanked when they were younger. Some of them really struggle with, I don't know what to do right now, because this is how it was done. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> Or people who grew up in like a faith of some kind, and like they had that sense of community with their church, but now they've deconstructed or that wasn't the affirming space they needed. So they're like, what do we do to get that same sense of community but I mean like all of it like the language that we use the Mm. way that we talk to our children the way that we discipline our children the way that we and now of course like what they eat what they consume like all of those things it's a big old ball of (laughs) we are forging a new path Mm. and there's a lot of so a lot of family stuff comes up a lot of confusion a lot of just feeling like am I doing the right thing and how do I do this thing Mm-hmm. are really, really hard questions to be wrestling with on top of all the responsibilities of being right. present and being a parent and, you know, right. all the fun things. And that takes a lot of validation and it takes a lot of like, it's not an easy thing for mm-hmm. a lot of parents to be in this space. And I think that's what's so important is to recognize like there's so many different parenting experiences. Yeah. They're all valid, but there's a lot that goes into completely shifting the paradigm about how you're doing things versus like the way that, you know, your schema for how mm-hmm. you were raised. Cause that's where we do learn a lot about the world. That's where mm-hmm. we do learn a lot about how to be. Mm-hmm. And so when we're challenging all that, it can really be a process for sure. Yeah. Um, you used a term um, deconstructing when you were talking about kind of leaving a specific faith. Uh, can you say a little bit more about what that is for people? Absolutely. So deconstructing, and it does not have to be just about faith. I'll put that out there. It's a popular term for people who have grown up in a very specific worldview. We'll say that whether it's religious Mm -hmm. or whether it's political or whether it's, Mm -hmm. you know, like this is how a family should look, whatever. So when we get to be adults and we start to really differentiate from some of the original values that we were raised with, people struggle with that. Like, what is right and wrong, because we have a tendency to think in that like black and white space. Mm -hmm. And so when I I say deconstructing, like I use a lot of like rational emotive behavior therapy with people and ask. So we get to or acceptance and commitment therapy. So we get to really break down. These are the values. This is what was from my past. This is the way things were done. Mm -hmm. What do I want Mm -hmm. to bring with me versus what just doesn't apply anymore? And so when I say deconstructing, I mean, kind of really taking apart some of our internal structure and looking at it and examining it and what parts are not applicable to us. And it's hard to challenge that because they stick with you, especially if you've been raised that like this is what, you know, a mother's responsibility is in terms of the family or this is how you should be as a wife or this is, you know, whatever, as a father, whatever Mm -hmm. the thing is. And so really kind of breaking that down to smaller pieces so that we can look at them and decide, okay, like what comes and what do we challenge and how do we do that? 
Because that's mm-hmm. the other part. It's very easy for us to look at something and be like, oh, that value doesn't really apply to me anymore. Yeah. And it's another thing to tell our feelings <laughs> mm-hmm. to not care about that thing mm-hmm. anymore or whatever, that we shouldn't be caring about that thing anymore. So that's where I do a lot of EMDR also to help challenge some of those belief systems that might not necessarily be applicable anymore or that are causing conflict within themselves or in their relationship dynamic, whatever it is. So that's kind of what that means. Again, deconstructing is a very broad term that can Mm -hmm. mean a lot of different things. This is my therapy cat bogey. (laughs) can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people. But that to me, when I look at deconstructing, it's about understanding the old things and what's causing conflict in today's world or today's like how we're functioning and how do we reconcile all of that. Mm -hmm. This episode is supported by Ritual. I am by nature and nurture a bit skeptical. I have to see for myself if something works or if it's helpful before I just believe it whole cloth. And I'm open to trying things out to see for myself. And that includes finding strategies for my wellness. I have a historically low vitamin D, so it's important for me to take Ritual's Essential 18 because it has D3 in it, and their clinically backed Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin has several other high-quality, traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. What I love and have always loved about Ritual is that it's a female-founded company, and it's a B Corp, which means they're holding themselves accountable and not just long-term, but also to the health of people and our planet. No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash momandmind. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash momandmind for 25% off. This episode is supported by Factor. Eating better is better with ready-to-eat factor meals. And ready-to-eat means pop it in the microwave for two minutes and done. I mix in a few of these meals into my rotation for the days that we're on the run or that I don't want to make anything. I chose the high-protein and calorie-smart options, one of which is the mushroom chicken thighs and wild rice with garlic roasted green beans. This is restaurant quality and so tasty. I can adjust how many meals I get in my order as much or as little as I need every week. Plus, I can pause or reschedule my deliveries anytime, which comes in really handy for our busy schedule. Head to factormeals.com slash momandmind50 and use code momandmind50 to get 50% off. That's code momandmind50 at factormeals.com slash momandmind50 to get 50% off. Going back specifically, I guess, to the population that you're supporting and that intersection with perinatal mental health, I'm curious from your perspective, what you've seen, where are we lacking? What are the holes in perinatal mental health and support for LGBTQIA families and resources and training, whatever it is you see, I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. So I think that's a really great question. And I think that we are getting better a little bit. Like I did the postpartum support international training as my basis for, you know, like my PMHC, that's the certification that you get. And within that, I felt like they did a very good job of touching on a lot of these different areas. Like there's a lot of like people of color have a different like challenges and, you know, their support that they need might be very different from somebody who 
is not a member of that community. And the same is true for the LGBTQ community, even within that umbrella, mm-hmm. like queer parents, having a space for queer parents who are cisgendered is a little different than having a space for trans parents specifically or non-binary parents, like people who are gender fluid and how that relates to. And then again, there's the polyamorous and that can kind of overlap with all of these things. And so I think really like there's, it's good that we're doing the broad training about how to identify, you know, some of the bigger topics under the perinatal mental health umbrella. But then I think really making more training available for clinicians and making more resources available, like, or at least like in the spaces that are there. So like if a trans parent needs financial help, like making sure that the people who are in that space have been trained on how to talk with them in an affirming way. And it doesn't have to be like super in depth, but even just, again, kind of learning to share some of the language. And I know, again, like this is a delicate topic because Mm -hmm. there's been a lot of, it's been a very controversial topic in the news areas and like, you know, social media stratospheres, but even learning things like just learning how to speak in gender neutral language versus like mom and dad and assuming that that's how everybody is. Mm -hmm. So I think that even though this has become highly politicized, for me, when I see the parents coming to me that need support, all they want, they don't even want that much. They just are like, I want to be able to go into a support group for parents and just have people recognize that not every parent seeing looks like this. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's getting better with the visibility. It's getting better with us learning a little bit more. But I think I always cringe about the politicization of everything because I'm like so much of this, like people are just looking for resources and help as parents. They're Mm -hmm. not even thinking politically. Like they're not even, you know, like you have to see everything my way. They're just like, I want to be able to go into a space and talk about what's going on with me without feeling judged. And I think that is where we're really kind of lacking in the mental health field. And I think there's a lot of contributing factors to that, but just like being able to spread some of this in a very neutral way is, Mm -hmm. I think, one of our biggest challenges is that it's not about like, right or left or right or wrong, or any of that. It's just about like, we need to make these learn how to make everybody feel a little bit more comfortable that you can come here. And if we can't, because it's so hard to provide like individual spaces for all of the lived experiences out there. So even making the spaces that we have feel more inclusive is we're getting better. (laughs) <laughs> always room for improvement, you know, mm-hmm. like it, we're not there yet. Right. Sure. So you were saying using inclusive language. I mean, aside from going into like a full, like let's train people right now, kind of a conversation, like yeah. this is how you do it. It's not right. specifically like, you know, to three minutes worth of a conversation to change everything. Mm-hmm. But if people who are listening are thinking, mainly I'm thinking of therapists, maybe doulas or support people yeah. to pregnant and postpartum folks, like what are some things that they could do to start creating more inclusive space or using more inclusive language, like even just resources? Yeah. And I think that's a great question. And I always say like taking some even basic, like they have a lot, there's a lot of people of lived experience, like with the trans community or with queer communities Mm -hmm. that do offer training. And I think this is one of the big things that people really, I think, need to understand is that if we have a friend 
who let's say identifies as trans or identifies as a single parent by choice or a polyamorous family, it gets very stressful for them to be constantly educating all the people around them about how Mm. they need to be treated. And so I always encourage people to say, hey, how can I support you in an affirming way? And where should I look to get some ideas of how to educate myself about that? And sometimes it it might require you to do a little bit of like research on your own about Mm. this instead of just making our assumptions about it. Like, what is the polyamorous family? Like, are there books I can read about that? The Gender Bible is an online resource that I point people to a lot. They have a lot of just like 101 things like this is, but I think even just Googling like trans or anything like lived experience for trans parents, like what will pop up and just learning how to kind of educate yourself a little bit. Mm -hmm. I always say like go with lived experience because you want to hear, you want to learn from the people who have been there, that this is my experience. This is how people are affirming for me. Mm -hmm. Um, like, or even again, polyamorous families or whatever the space is, doing a little bit of research about what the specific like books or everybody has a website, right? Like there's the cover <laughs> project for mm-hmm. trans youth. Like there's one in 10 for kids here in the state of Arizona who identify as queer. There's like a bunch of resources. So many of them are like state and local, like grassroots type things. So even just mm-hmm. Googling a little bit of like, how can I support my transparent friend and just doing a little bit of a deep dive into that before you approach them with hey tell me how you you know like explain this to me because that's one of those big things that can become like me having to like educate you on how Mm -hmm. my experience and all that like some people are absolutely like willing to share like yes this is the thing this is how we do things but I think it's good for people if they want to learn how to Mm-hmm. support members of those populations to really like dig in and be ready to maybe show out a little bit of money to pay these people for their mm-hmm. training or consultation, like for doulas and for like lactation consultants and people in that space. I always encourage them to look for like lean on their resources and look for training about how to do that and be ready to pay for it. Or mm-hmm. there's, you know, I'm a member of this group called the Arizona mental health providers I mean, it's just like a Facebook group and I will throw out there every now and then like, Hey, I really need to do a training on this topic. Who's created one? Like I'd rather support right. somebody, a clinician who has created that. Yeah. And then, you know, go to PESI or whatever, which is, you know, fine. But mm-hmm. I always encourage people locally to try to find some of those consultations or trainings that mm-hmm. are specific yeah. to whatever they're looking at, like whatever population they're looking to expand into some training around that, do some research. Great. Well, thank you so much, Marie, for coming on and sharing your experience and your work and your passion with us. And I hope that the people who are listening are inspired to go and do that research and look into ways they can support community better. Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about everything I talked about today. And I look forward to hearing it when it comes out. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thank you. To connect with Marie, go to mariesloancounseling.com or on Facebook at Marie Sloan Counseling. I thank you so much for joining us today. As usual, please do share this conversation with everybody and specifically anyone who you know could benefit from hearing our chat today. Thank you for joining us. Until next time. 
Please find the Mom and Mind podcast on momandmind.com or wellmindperinatal.com, where you can also find access to my free online mini course that is specifically designed for people experiencing anxiety in the postpartum period. Or you can learn more about the three and a half hour self-paced course that I created just for managing postpartum stress. You can also connect with us on social media at Mom and Mind on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for tuning in and learning more about perinatal mental health. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.